Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is Nikki Deslack and Amber Carlins. They're founders of Create Conservatory STEM Education Through Arts Integration. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Thank You're you. You're connecting through Florida, from Florida? Yes, ma'am. Where, where in Florida? Leesburg? Yeah, so we're about an hour north of Orlando. Okay. And tell me about this conservatory, because I was checking it out, and it got me thinking about how when I was younger, I wasn't a very good student, and I felt like the educational system really wasn't meeting my needs. We hear that a lot, actually. So much, yes. <laughs> when, we, when we are out in the community, we're almost always told, oh, I, I wish this existed when I was a kid, or I wish it existed when my children were this age. Um, and so the school is actually sort of a longtime dream of mine. I was a classroom teacher. I taught everything from sixth grade to 12th grade, English language arts, drama, journalism. And right. when I was in the classroom, I used to say, someday when I'm a school principal, I'm not gonna do things this way. I'm, I'm gonna do them differently. And then I became a school principal and I saw how restricted they are by so many policies and procedures in place. And so then when I was a principal, I would say, someday when I own my own school, I'm not gonna do things this way. And it was just sort of this someday dream. Yes. And then my kids came along, specifically my son, because he's the older one, Avery. And it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that there wasn't going to be a school that was going to work for Avery. He's incredibly academically advanced. Mm -hmm. And we saw that he was struggling in school socially, emotionally. He just wasn't being challenged. And so um, we had him in a couple schools here and they just weren't the right fit for him. And so I just decided it was time to to take the someday dream off the shelf and right. make it happen. Um, so that's when you turn to your best friend and you say, so I have a crazy idea. <laughs> and then you say, I'm in, I'm totally in. Also, what is the idea? Yeah, what is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's sort of how, how we came about. Um, and what makes us different is that we teach STEM education. So science, technology, engineering, and math, the same traditional subjects that all schools teach except we teach it all through the arts. So we use the arts as either the vehicle to have the students learn mm -hmm. or the way in which we assess them. So we teach science and math and engineering and reading through dance and music and drawing and movement and singing. Yeah. The reason I, I gravitated towards this, um, well, first of all, my dear friend, Ivan Williams referred me to you ladies, so. And when, He's and we're big fans of Ivan here. Yeah, so shout out to Ivan. Woo. <laughs> Definitely. Um, is because I remember reaching a point where I was doing horribly in school. I was around the age 16 or so. And my dad saying, ask them if you can do something else or ask for help. And I remember asking for help and was so relieved when they said, you know, you don't have to do that big exam. You can do a project. And you can make it very artsy and do whatever you, you like. And I really blossomed in that way, as opposed to taking a test. I just could not do tests very well. I still can't. Well, and the research really supports that. Uh, there is tons and tons of science that backs up the idea that when you put the arts in the classroom, especially when you integrate it, mm -hmm. academic performance goes up substantially. I believe one of the studies finds 15% gains, right, academically. And that's that's a huge amount when you're talking about a kid who's a solid C student and now they're getting A's because their grades have gone up 15%. They perform better on standardized tests. We're not huge standardized test people here, but it does help with that if that's something that 
um, you know, you need improved performance on, it increases engagement, it increases grit, which is such a buzzword in academics now. Kids are more likely to persevere, they're more likely to stick to it because they care and they're engaged. Right. They're more likely to come, it raises our attendance rates. And so really arts integration in the classroom is the key to unlocking so many of those things that we desperately wanna see in education. But it's also a lot of work. And at a time when what we really need is things like arts integration, and uh, particularly because arts integration is great at closing the achievement gap. So when we start talking about uh, students from low socioeconomic backgrounds or students from minorities, uh, particularly there, that's where you see huge leaps and bounds. So it's an enormously effective strategy, but instead of utilizing it very often, what we see happening is that the arts are sort of the first thing to go. It's really where the budget cuts come from first. And so we are really unique in that, you know, we do have arts in our school, lots of schools have that, but it is really a cornerstone of our curriculum. I think it really because people don't understand the power of it and the power also in increasing their self-esteem. Because I know for me and other kids, like once it clicks, like, oh, I'm not stupid. I actually can learn and do and your self-esteem, you know, hits the roof. And I think that's so important, particularly Absolutely. at the elementary school age, because that's when children are establishing how are they going to feel about school for the rest of their lives. Um, and, and particularly that that kindergarten through second grade um, where children are learning how to read and things like that. That's when it's so important to foster that that love of learning and that curiosity and that engagement, because a lot of times we are sort of, to, to quote Ken Robinson, who's one of my heroes, we're educating children out of their creative capacities, um, which is a huge problem. Um, and so I think to, to foster that love of learning and allow kids to, we always say we, we set up fence posts and goal posts, and then we kind of get out of their way, uh, which that's when the real learning happens, right? Kids are discovering and figuring things out on their own, and it's a great process to see them go through. And that's when they get to really fall in love with learning. You know, we were talking today about how we had a hurricane day and the, the school had to close down a couple of months ago. And we got texts from parents saying that their kids were genuinely super upset. They were just like, oh no, we don't get to go to school tomorrow and like booing. Aww. And I thought, man, that was not my experience as a child in school. We had a hurricane yeah. day at the party. We were super excited not to have to go. Um, but they love it here because they are active participants in their learning and they are getting to explore and they're getting to play. I think so often we sort of lose the the play and the exploration and the creativity and learning and that's really key to falling in love with it and it is a lifelong process. So we're really grateful for the chance to sort of set them off on the right foot. Definitely. So tell me uh, how things are at this point. I mean, you formed this conservatory, where are you now? So obviously, uh, starting this in the middle of a global pandemic yeah. and, you know, where things were in our country last summer were just uh, not ideal circumstances really to open a school. And for us, it was a, we had a lot of really hard, really honest conversations about do we want to delay? Because obviously, you know, en enrollment wasn't what we had hoped it would be because right. it's hard, you know, everybody's kind of in survival mode right now. And the last thing a parent wants to do is say like, oh yeah, let's make another change and put our child in another new school. Right. Um, so, you know, for us, we, we had some discussions about, do we want to delay our opening? And the bottom line was, you know, we, we had families that came to us and we, we would do community nights and it's not uncommon for us to look out and see a parent crying in the middle mm -hmm. of our community night mm -hmm. saying like, you're talking about my child. This is, yeah. this is what my kid needs. Um, and so for us, we decided like, 
you know, the Wright brothers built the plane and, and they, they took it off at some point. And we just thought, we're just gonna, we're just gonna fly this thing um, because we have families that need us. And we know we can deliver to the families that we have. And so it just became about, this isn't gonna be the dream location. This isn't gonna be the dream number of kids that, that's in our five-year plan. Sure, but, okay. you know, we, we really wanted to get off the ground this year, despite all of the hurdles that we faced because, you know, we had these these families that were sort of relying on us. Um, and it was really important, you know, my own personal motivation when you come home every day and you see your own kids, that, that'll do it, man. That, that'll get you to do anything that you have to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I just was very lucky because I have a great team that, that has built this vision with me like it's their own. Um, and so it's taken a, a huge network of support for us to, to get it off the ground. But I think... Um, I just keep saying someday I'm going to make a great keynote speaker, yep. man. Let's talk 2020 and opening a nonprofit elementary school. <laughs> well, and that's the thing because we are, we're very unusual in the sense that because we're a, a private school, there's a sense of like, oh, you know, you're charging a crazy amount of tuition from every kid who walks through your doors, but we're not because we're big believers that every child has the right to a quality of edu quality education, I can say words, regardless of their ability to pay. And so a, a significant number of our students, more than half are attending Create on scholarship right now, but we also don't take state funding. And so unlike a public school that has their budget already covered or a charter school, um, or even some of the private schools that take state funding through things, for example, like in Florida, we have the McKay scholarship that requires you to do other things like high stakes testing that we don't feel good about. And so we have taken sort of the hardest possible route to open this school. But we did it because we really wanted to make sure that we weren't compromising on that quality of education. So we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we've we've done that. So we have to sort of fundraise all of those dollars ourselves to cover those scholarship, uh, yeah. scholarship money. Again, words. I'm so sorry. Long uh, <laughs> day with tiny people, um, but yeah. So we we do. You know, it's it's smaller than we'd anticipated. But in a pandemic, that's a bit of a gift because right. we have the ability to make sure that our kids aren't stuck in masks all day long because we can socially distance them in the right. classroom. Right. And it's allowed us to make sure that we're doing things in a way that feels safe for us and safe for our families. And also that we can responsibly provide tuition for the students who need it yeah. and couldn't have done that with a really large student body this year. But we are hoping for significant growth in 2021. Good. Well, and I will say this, um, knowing what kind of student I was and how I struggled. And I know students are struggling all over. And I often mention to my guests, when we talk about uh, students and how they're missing milestones and all kinds of different things, how we were in a mental health crisis, now we're in a mental health pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the arts are key to helping kids right now, tremendously. And if you have empathy, if you are living it at home with your own child, you get it. Yeah. And I think you said something that really resonates with me about, about milestones and hitting these milestones, because we as a society have sort of established these milestones that every child is supposed to reach, right? right. And I think about my own son, he was nonverbal until he was about three. He had very limited vocabulary. And it was right around the time that we started to get worried. We had taught him sign language and he understood everything we were saying, mm -hmm. but he just wouldn't talk. Um, and it went from pretty much nothing to mommy, may I play outside within a week? It was like a, a switch flipped. And I think about these milestones that we're all supposed to reach at these specific times. And I think so often we forget in this big system that 
kids are individual learners and just because they don't do X, Y, or Z at the same time that someone else does X, Y, or Z, then they're behind. Um, But, you know, I come back to sort of what, what are they behind? What are they behind? Um, Because they're, they're themselves as these individual learners. And so I think the pandemic has presented a lot of interesting challenges for educators and students with regard to, you know, them falling behind because we're also going to have to take into account these social emotional Mm -hmm. needs that are, Mm -hmm. that are needing to be met whenever students do return to the classroom sort of in mass right now in Florida. I think the last time I checked, we were about 50, 50, about 50% of our student population was going in person and about 50% was attending virtually. Um, But it's interesting because I think it's that, it's that mindset that we have as a society of our kids are falling behind. Um, And I think it's just so detrimental to, to the kids learning in a lot of ways, because we lose sight of them as individual learners when we start to, to have these finish lines that we've sort of created um, for them. Yes. And that's one of the real gifts of being in control of our own curriculum, because not only can we make sure that we're tailoring to our individual students and providing differentiated instruction, but we also can make sure that we are addressing things like mental health in our class that can be a part of our curriculum. We can be tailoring for social emotional learning. We also can be tailoring for things like health and hygiene to make sure that we're really meeting the needs of our students right now in this very unusual time. So we have a mental health check-in on our wall in the classroom. It's adorable. Nikki made it. It's like a poster that talks about how I'm feeling today. And it's got things like, I'm great. I'm meh. I'm having a hard day and I could use a check-in and the kids can put their name next to wherever they are sort of on that line on any given day. So we know how they are not just you know educationally but we also know how they're doing emotionally and and we yeah. have that relationship with the parents as well where we can check in so it lets us really tend to those needs i often say gone are the days where people just say i'm good thanks even as adults you know mm-hmm. like the poor people at trader joe's are like how are you well <laughs> <laughs> and then you dump it out um you know i always often say especially i have kids that if you don't do well, it predicts nothing. If you don't do well on your SATs, it predicts nothing. It doesn't predict your future success. If you bomb your tests, if you bomb your freshman year of college, it predicts nothing. Mm-hmm. I think more kids need to hear that. For sure, absolutely. And I think they, they need to hear that from day one. I think we, yeah. we've, we've created a culture that doesn't allow mistakes. Mistakes are bad. We, we don't wanna make mistakes. Right. Um, and so, you know, part of the thing that makes us different too is this encouragement of exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, as adults, we either understand consciously or subconsciously that mistakes are where we learn. Mistakes are, are how we learn. Sure. And so, you know, we try to infuse that into the classroom of like, you didn't do anything wrong. Um, we, we, just, we just need to try it again. Let's try a different approach. Let's try a different method or um, how can we reach you in another way as opposed to, you know, you've made a mistake and that's bad. Right. I also think gifted kids in particular tend to very often that comes with a lot of anxiety. And I know for, for me as a student, I was very bright and very terrified all of the time. And I remember taking the first time they sat us down for a high stakes test, I was maybe seven. And the teacher gave this whole spiel about how you had to perfectly bubble in every bubble, because if you hadn't nailed the bubbling, it was going to be wrong. And if you did bad here, then they were going to not put you in the advanced classes. And then if you weren't in the advanced classes, you weren't going to get into you know the right classes in high school. And then you weren't going to get into a good college. And my seven-year-old self was like, this bubble or I'm going to be like living under a bridge and like having a full panic attack about a bubble. And like, that is not how seven-year-olds should feel. You're going to go home and practice your bubbling. 
Yes. And I, I, I think I finished like half the test because I spent like half an hour filling in a circle and my teacher was like, what has happened? And I was like, I, I was bubbling. Like I wasn't even reading the rest of the questions. I was just compulsively bubbling. And, and that is just so not the education that we want kids to have. And, you know, I teach at a college and I work every day with brilliant, gifted, amazing kids who are with me. And I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I run an honors program there, but they're with me because they were incredibly bright kids with ridiculous GPAs and amazing resumes who didn't ace the SATs. And we have all that data that suggests that that's not a particularly great or equitable test to begin with, but one day and one test can change your life and it shouldn't. And so that's something that we're really passionate about is teaching our kids. You don't have to be perfect all the time. You don't have to be perfect at all. Uh, Go forth and play and try things. And if it doesn't work, all you've done is find a way that doesn't work. You are now one step closer to a way that will. Yeah. And I feel like when you go the non-traditional route of assessment, whether you're, they're creating a project, whatever, they're actually learning more. Absolutely expressing more than they would on some test and some bubble test. No question. Cause one is rote memorization and one is actually engaging with the material. It's higher order thinking. It's critical thinking. It's creative problem solving. It is all of those things that we know there is a desperate need for in the workforce, but for whatever reason, we have not actually really taken properly into the school system and tied to the way that we're teaching and the way that we're assessing, sure. but we are doing that here. And it's something that definitely makes us different as well. And it starts them at a young age being comfortable getting in front of their peers and speaking, which I hated. I used to shake. Mm-hmm. But once you get that confidence and you have the right teacher, which sounds like you both encourage this, you have the right teacher and resources, they can get up there and be themselves. That's so important. The first, um, every nine weeks, we have a, a big student showcase. And we feature uh, a lot of their work. They do portfolios of their visual work and we hang them up around the school. And we always have some performing aspect as well. And so they've done plays. Um, We worked with a friend of mine who lives in LA and he zoomed into our class. He's a professional tap dancer. And so they they learn to tap dance. we are starting on Thursday a stand-up comedy unit with a comedian out of New York, and they—it's uh, this great opportunity that we've been able to work with artists from all over the country who zoom in to the classroom and help us teach. But that was a huge part of our mission too: was getting kids in front of people. Because there's—I don't even know where it came from—but there's a saying in America that the number one fear is uh, public speaking. Oh yeah. And the number two fear is dying. So like people would rather die than speak in public. <laughs> so we work on that, you know, from, from day one. And it's been really cool to see their growth because mm-hmm. if you look back at the video from the first showcase, um, you, you see them, they, they interviewed one another and they had to present their partner and they're, they're sort of shaking and stumbling through. And, yeah. you know, and I said, guys, it's just your families. It's just, they, we just love you and you just do your thing. And to see them blossom at that next showcase, I mean, they were hamming it up. Mm-hmm. We had one student that got an award and, and she stood there in front of all the parents and she goes, yes. <laughs> um, and just to see them, you know, come out of their shells, because I think that's a skill mm-hmm. that's so missing. You know, I interview Absolutely. people constantly for jobs with us because we're a unique fit. Um, And so we really want high quality teachers that think a little bit outside of the box like we do. And so we interview lots of people, even when we don't have an open position, I'm constantly interviewing because I like to kind of have some some people on deck. Mm-hmm. And that's a skill that I think is so lacking in, in adults is that ability to, to communicate confidently and yeah. to, you know, present yourself in a way 
where in a professional setting, that's really important, you know, and like bu bubbling in, not mm -hmm. so much. Um, <laughs> and so for us, that's a huge part of it too, is getting them comfortable in front of an audience, whether that audience is their classmates or their parents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll, we'll work up to, to eventually, you know, sort of the broader community, but for now we're, we're taking baby steps because it's new for them. Um, right. And I think that was, it's funny, Andy Pitts is the comedian that we're working with. And Andy and I had a meeting last week and he said, so, so tell me like, what's the number one thing that you want the kids to walk away with? And I said that the number one thing I want the kids to walk away with is a positive experience in front of people. Mm -hmm. That's it. I said, if they, if they do a, a one minute thing, you know, a one minute stand up act and maybe part of it's kind of funny, it's a win. You know, I think it's just, it's important that kids have positive experiences in front of people at a young age where we can make sure that they're, that they're safe and they're not going to have those moments. Um, you know, people still have like nightmares about like you're, you're on stage and you forgot your line or. Sure. You know? <laughs> and that's one of the things that I think is so great about the arts and arts integration in particular, people very often conceptualize that as like, Oh, we're going to draw. And we do that. We do lots and lots of drawing mm -hmm. at create, but it's also dance and it's also drama and it's also music. And so we really let the kids find their own niche and find the places where they're going to shine in. So we expose them that. to all those things. We ask them to participate in all of those things. But then when it comes time for them to demonstrate mastery, they have some say. So for example, we were just doing an activity. We've been studying butterflies a lot at the school. And so we've got, you know, we got the little caterpillars and then they became chrysalises and they're all hanging right now and we're waiting for them to become butterflies. But they have read books about butterflies and they have drawn things and made things about the life cycle of the butterfly. And then this past week, they created narratives uh, about a butterfly, well, a caterpillar that became a butterfly. And then they write a little skit about it. And one of the kids performs as the butterfly and there's a dance and they scored it using like Google blobs that sing opera. And so they've written, you know, the music for it. And so if you've got a kid who's like, for me personally, I'm a terrible artist, just the absolute worst, which is sort of the height of irony given, you know, that I work at an art school, but um, I, I can't draw to save my life. My eighth grade teacher tried to teach me to draw a straight line with a ruler. And after about half an hour was like, I give up, you've broken me. So I have no skills in those areas. But if you put me with a piano or you let me act or you, you know, put me in a pair of ballet shoes, then I know what I'm doing and I'm happy and I'm comfortable. So I think it's, yes, it's about getting them up there to have experiences. But as Nikki said, it's the positive experience because so often when we teach public speaking, it's stand up and present on this thing you don't care about that I have assigned to you. And here it's find something that you love and then share that and share that gift with another person. And having that mindset when you get up to present is so different from what I think we typically walk away from in more traditional instruction. You know, I, it reminds me of something I'm going to share with you. I studied voice acting um, years ago. I started in Boston and then in L.A. And I remember coming in for an audition for something. It was actually for a commercial. And the casting director said, so tell me about yourself. And what she was really doing was getting me comfortable just talking to her as opposed to I was waiting in the waiting room and I was nervous and I was sweaty and overthinking. And you get in and you start showing your real self, right? And then she says, okay, now read the copy. So what you've done is you're yourself and then you just read it because you feel like, okay, she accepts me. She knows who I am now. And you want kids to feel comfortable in their own skin. Absolutely. Know, being themselves. Yeah. And I think Amber said something that, that also is a, a key part for me, which is um, kind of exposing the kids to a lot of different things. Yeah. So they all looked at me like I had eight heads the day that I came in with juggling scarves. And I was like, you guys are going to juggle. And they were like, we're going to, we're gonna what? Is that like a black eye? <laughs> yeah. I said, no, we're, we're gonna learn how to juggle. And, you know, 
a couple of the kids, you could tell it wasn't their thing, but they were willing to, to sort of have a go, which I, yeah. I love because we create that environment where they're like, oh, okay, right. I'll, I'll play. Um, <laughs> but a couple of the kids fell madly in love with it. Like they took the juggling scarves home. They came back a couple of days later and they were like, check me out. Look what I can do. And, you know, we do yoga sometimes and, and we try to just sort of expose them to a lot of different things that you wouldn't typically see in a traditional classroom because they don't have time. Um, and yeah. so, you know, it's finding that area where now who knew that a student was going to go home and fall in love with juggling, um, but it gives them that confidence. Mm -hmm. Sure. And that's the real gift of not having to teach to a test, you know, because oh, we can know. Okay, I want to take time for this or I can tailor this to something you love. So like we have a little boy who's six and obsessed with dinosaurs. I mean, just full on hardcore obsessed, has a cute little velociraptor that he carries around with him everywhere that has to have its own seat at our show. I don't camp. know what that is, but okay. <laughs> Dinosaur, uh, but we can tailor our, our particular like word problems in math to like, if you have 12 <laughs> triceratops and then we take half of them away, how many yes. triceratops do you have left? Yeah. And so it's just yes. this opportunity to really know our own students and then to sure. tailor what we do to their loves and then also to help them find more things they love so we can tailor more things to more things it's this sort of lovely avalanche of opportunity really. I know you gotta speak their language i often said to my daughter when she was struggling in math if somebody had designed math questions around slime mm -hmm. and how to make slime and the ounces and formulas you would have gotten math because it's relevant mm -hmm. you know and well, and that's what's cool about us is that we do, sorry, that sounded so sort of braggy, like what's really neat about us, so uh, but what's cool about our school is that it is STEM education through arts integration. And that in and of itself is different because very often you get places that do STEM or you get places that do the arts. It's very rare that you find those two things together, but our brain doesn't work like that. Um, you don't you don't learn knowledge generally in completely segregated ways. And then also it allows you to appeal to different sides of a kid. You know what I mean? So if you have a kid who's super sciencey, they're gonna struggle if you take all the science out of the arts. And if you have a kid who's very artistic, they're gonna struggle if you take all the arts out of the sciences. But if you can find a way to make those things happen together, you're, you're gaining your knowledge much more holistically in a way that much more mirrors the way that we actually engage with material in our regular lives. But you're also appealing to sort of the whole child. So we do a lot of science experiments. We do a lot of tech-based stuff, but we always do it with this tie back to the arts. Yeah, because I think um, a lot of times I feel like arts integration kind of gets a bad rap from people that, that either don't understand it or maybe aren't implementing it sort of the way that it should be, right? So to give you an example of that, um, let's say that we're learning about early pioneers. Um, a, a not so great example of arts integration would be to have the students create um, like a paper doll pioneer and then um, create some clothes for the pioneer and then put their clothes on their paper doll. So unless what we're looking to assess is fine motor skills, at probably a kindergarten level. Sure. That's not a great example of an arts integration lesson because what's the actual meat of that lesson? What did the student learn from the core content area? So, yeah, right. <laughs> and so it's really important to keep that rigor in place. So sure. today they did adjective monsters. Um, so we read a book about a, a green monster and then the kids uh, looked at pictures of gargoyles from all around the world and they had to come up with a list of adjectives that described each one. Well, some looked happy and some looked sad. Well, why is that? So then they created a T-chart where they listed not only can adjectives describe our physical characteristics, but they can also describe our emotional characteristics. Now you're going to create your own monster 
But if you want your monster to be sad, what physical characteristics do you need to give your monster to have it read as that emotional adjective of sadness? Um, and so that's, you know, that's an example of where it's now you're really getting into the to, to rigor, right? And I yes. think a lot of times the arts in education can either be sort of misunderstood or, you know, teachers that are, are trying their best, but maybe they're not as well trained in the concept think it's a great arts integration lesson, but ultimately the kids are doing great art and they're having a lot of fun and there are soft skills throughout that process. But I think for us, it comes back to ensuring that it's anchored in that rigorous course content yeah. for science and math. Yeah. And, and other because stuff. then you could take it a step further and they come in dressed as the monster and they act out the monster mm -hmm. and, you know, they really get a sense of the different and you could do a dance as the monster you could yes. write the monster's theme song you know there's a million yeah. ways to go with that and that's also a great example of what we mentioned before in terms of that social and emotional learning because you're learning about um subtle cues and facial cues and all of those things as well mm -hmm. alongside the language arts aspect alongside the arts and we're always tying things back to the standards um so that we are making sure that that rigor is there that um we've got a measure of accountability for the things that the students need to learn throughout the year but we're assessing it through things like creative problem solving and critical thinking and higher order thinking as opposed to just the bubbling yeah it reminds me a little bit of very little of my experience at going to montessori Mm -hmm. when I was younger. I mean, I never forget the different things and how that shaped me. Yeah. We actually get that question a lot. Yeah. Um, so, so parents will say, so you're kind of like Montessori. And really, I, but, I, yeah, I always yeah. respond exactly that. Yeah. Not really. Not really. <laughs> Yeah. Where we are similar is in the philosophy of allowing children to have some some say yeah. and some control. Uh, for us, that freedom and flexibility comes within the confines of mm -hmm. a very structured lesson sure. as opposed to a more uh, free range. I always refer to Montessori as sort of free range. It was very free range, up. yes. <laughs> right. But it's a great foundation. Yes. Yeah. Um, anything else you'd like people to know about the conservatory? I think for us... Um, you know, we, we kind of touched on this earlier about what a challenging time it's been to sort of sort of get this off the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and for us, we're always looking for people who are willing to donate their time, their talent. Um, obviously, money is helpful. <laughs> we definitely won't talk um, that. <laughs> but, you know, if, if people live in the Central Florida area and they want to come and, you know, we, we love having guest readers or um, if you enjoy some art or a content area and you want to come and, and collaborate on a lesson with us, we would love to have anyone who wants to come. If they don't live in Central Florida, but they'd be willing to share their expertise they can contact us to zoom in to the classroom um, whether right. it's a, a single session or a, a couple different sessions that they want to do sort of an extended period of time we're always looking for people who are willing to to come in and share and we can handle um, even the sort of more academic side of things if there's an artist who just isn't really sure how they could translate that to an elementary classroom we can we can help them along that path as well so if there's anyone who would be interested in that we would love to to have them and there is really no donation too small or too weird. Nikki always says, if you give me a dirty sock, that's one more sock than I had yesterday. So we will welcome if there's anything that you have that you're like, that 
might be interesting for that school I heard about in Florida. A, we'll take it, uh, but also B, if you want to do larger scale donors, one of the things we're always looking for is more scholarship opportunities. We are, if you're not familiar with where we are in Florida, it is a very low socioeconomic area. In our county, 25% of all of the children are living below the poverty line. And so it is really important to us that we be able to provide this education um, for the students who need it at no charge. So obviously we do have tuition for the families who can afford it because as we like to say, we are tuition based, but donation driven. And if you are interested in that, we do allow donors to have say in the scholarships um, that they provide. So you can have a say in naming the scholarship in the kinds of criteria you can meet with the families who have applied for a scholarship um, okay. and half scholarships for a whole year for us start at just 3250. So it's not a huge uh, investment there, but it is a giant investment in our community in these kids who will go on and I have absolutely no doubt change our community first and the world second, but they are going to go on and do amazing things and they will do that because of the foundation that they get here. That's amazing. And it, is it K through 12? What, what are the ages? What are the grades? So we're K-5 right now. Okay. Um, we often have parents say, so what about a middle school? And I always sort of laugh and say, just follow my son. Um, he's in third grade now. So yeah. when he needs a middle school, I will have fought tooth and nail with everything I have to be ready to open a middle school for him. Um, and you know, a high school is in our long-term plan. We would love to open other locations throughout the state and the country, um, but you know, one step at a time. <laughs> one step at a time. Well, you're definitely on the right track. Congratulations. Well, thank, thank you so you. much. And if people want to visit our website, it's createconservatory.com and they can get in touch with us there or uh, follow us on Facebook. We're really active there. We share out stuff that the students are doing in the classroom and all the, the lessons that we're up to and all the fun we're having. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you thank so much you for so having much. us. It was a blast. My pleasure.